0: second Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, verse one. Paul uh, previously talking about how you know we are in these uh, tents, our bodies and uh, you know we are like the first tent that Moses received the orders from God to build uh, the tabernacle or the temple, what would become the temple and uh, how uh, the Holy Spirit resides in us in chapter 5, and uh, we will someday stand before the Lord and receive our new body. And uh, in that, the reward that we're going to receive from the Lord uh, for the work and ministry that we've done uh, for uh, his cause. And in verse 1, he says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, there's a couple of Ways to look uh, at receiving God's grace in vain. And he gives us a little more explanation. But, um, you know, if you receive God's grace and then throw God's grace away, um, what a tragedy that would be. To uh, embrace uh, the teachings of the scripture in Jesus Christ and the belief system of Christianity in our faith and then to reject it. You could also uh, receive it in vain by Taking on taking it on in an empty way, you know there are many people who uh, embrace Christianity as their chosen religion. Uh, you know, rather than living by it, it's they're they're not Muslim, they're not Buddhists, uh, they're not Krishna's, they're Christians. Uh, but when you look at uh, what is it doing in their life, how is it affecting them? How is it uh, you know performing any change or or walk, or relationship with God. It's not. It, you know, it's something they've taken upon themselves in an empty way. And I suppose there are you know, several different ways you could describe those two things. But in the end, you know, for all that we're doing, Paul is saying, for everything that uh, we've invested in the church at Corinth particularly, uh, it would be a shame to you know, go through all of that effort and have it be an empty thing. In the end. So, we're pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In verse 2, he says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Quoting the Old Testament and speaking from the prophets. He's reminding uh, these people who've studied this scripture that God has said to them, you know, there's a coming day of salvation. And Paul puts the punchline on it of, hey, it's been fulfilled. Now is the hour. I think that, you know, one of the, the best ways of knowing and understanding that particular verse is a lot of people uh, treat the word of God and the gospel message that way. You preach to them, you share to them. And uh, you'll remember, like, uh, you know, the Roman leaders that Paul was standing before, you know, before, and, you know, Felix and uh, the others are are saying, you know, we'd we'd like to hear you more on this uh, at a more convenient time. And people will say to you and I as we share the gospel with them, you know, that's really interesting stuff. I'd, I'd like to hear more about this. You know, we should get together sometime, have a coffee. I'd love to. You know, and really what they're saying, is there any way I could escape this conversation? Could I just cut my own arm off and get out of this trap? You know, they don't want it. And, and, you know, Paul is saying, today's the day of salvation. You know, Stop going for the soft sell. Oh, well, you don't want to be a health iron, you know, brimstone preacher and act like, you know, you got to accept Christ today because you could, you know, die on the way home from church. And if you don't accept him, then you'll be in hell. Well, that's the truth of the matter, isn't it? None of us knows. Uh, why are you putting it off? If this sounds like a reasonable thing, if if the presentation of the gospel touches your heart and sounds like maybe you should look into it more, eternity's at stake. Doesn't it make sense that you would stop in your tracks and investigate what's being said? You know, come to the conclusion on these matters, make the choice, reject it or accept it. You know, if you're gonna accept it, then you have the assurance of salvation. And then you can learn and grow and discover whatever you need. You still got questions? Of course you do, right? I mean, I'm 30 plus years into this program and studying God's word and teaching God's word, and I've still got some things that I would like to have answered. We're gonna continuously be growing. Why put it off? What's your issue? Why are you waiting? Uh, it makes sense that we would not only, you know, embrace it that way and live it that way, but present it that way. Uh, Billy Graham was the one that said, you know, well, why are you concerned about scaring people with the gospel? I'm paraphrasing, but you know that that whole thing of I don't want to drive people away. And and Billy Graham's uh, summary was, are you concerned that somehow you're going to cause them to end up in hell number two? They're already going to hell. And so you're going to pour the pressure on. You're going to put the heavy sales pitch to it and what drive them. They're already headed to hell. <laughs> what are you worried about? You know, I mean, if you lose them in the moment because of the pressure you put on, maybe the pressure you put on might actually win them over to cause them to surrender their life to Christ. You know, Penn and Teller are uh, a magician team, and uh, I don't even know if those are their real names. I don't think so. Maybe. But anyway... Penn is an avowed atheist, and uh, he has said on more than one occasion that uh, he respects Christians that preach adamantly and insist wholeheartedly about the necessity to become a Christian, and he has a great disdain for those who take the soft-sell, easy-handed approach. Because he's saying, if you truly believe there is a hell and that you're trying to rescue people from it, you should have an absolute all-fired approach to delivering that message to everyone that you can. You know, having a, a weak message uh, doesn't actually lend to credibility regarding what you're trying to get across. You know, there, there's a necessity. Today's the day of salvation. You know, whoever you are, you know, listening to this message here in this room or, you know, years from now on on Facebook, you have the opportunity, based on what we're reading here, to surrender your life to Jesus Jesus Christ. Wake up. You know, hear what the Lord is saying to you. Verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be ashamed, but in all things we Commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations and needs. And he goes through a rapid fire concession in the negative and the positive here. So bear with the sort of rhythm and tone that he develops. In all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulation, in needs, in distress, in stripes literally whippings, imprisonments, tumults, you know, fights that would be, and labors and sleeplessness and fasting by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, and yet true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened, that would be disciplined, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, and having nothing, and yet possessing all things. What does Paul saying in everything in life we're ministers you know we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be ashamed whatever we have done we're not uh, i I like the term compartmentalized in regard to christianity Uh, it shouldn't be done in a lot of respects you know some christians compartmentalize their faith oh it's sunday and i'm hanging out with the christians So I'm going to act and behave, especially Christian, you know, here in this environment. Uh, You know, Friday night, go out with the guys and live like a total heathen. Well, that's, you know, my Friday night compartment. And that's the way I behave and that's the way I act, you know. And I get around business partners and I compartmentalize that. I don't show them Friday party guy. I don't show them Sunday church guy. I've, I've I've compartmentalized everything and Paul is saying in all things you know good stuff bad stuff beatings you know blessings you know hatred love you know accusations and the truth we are living out our ministry and living out our faith there there aren't compartments there aren't phases there aren't you know masks that we wear ours is the ministry ours is the truth you know, one of the ways you'll know if you're doing that is if you annoy the stuffing out of people. You <laughs> know. Unbelievers. I uh I had a boss years ago, I've I've shared this a few different times in a few different ways, but he fired me for being a Christian. And uh please don't come to me later and tell me that I ought to take him to court because we tried that and the state of Maine told us that he had the right to do that. So anyway, uh in the process of his firing me uh, in front of other employees, witnesses, like straight up telling me, I'm firing you because you're a Christian, uh, he said, I'm firing you because you've been trying to convert me uh, to Christianity from the first day I hired you. Uh, I, I had two conversations with that man about the Lord in the two years that I, nearly two years that I worked for him. And he started both of them. He started both of the conversations about the Lord. But in his mind, everything I was doing all day long, you know, you've been constantly trying to convert me to your faith since the day I hired you. Well, I had no idea that I was, you know. I mean, during the interview and application process, I told him that I I was a Christian and that I wanted to see everyone. Come to be a Christian. That's why I was ministering as a pastor. And he basically told me, "Well, there, there'll be none of that here. Uh, I already know where I stand. I don't want anything to do with that." I said, "Well, there. Now we know where one another's at, right?" And then, like I said, we had the two conversations. And then the day that he fired me, you know, because I was making a public presentation of my faith. Done. Fires me on the spot. In his mind, whole time I'm working for him. I'm, I'm trying to convert him to Christianity which I was, you know. But we hadn't talked about it. Why? Because I'm living my faith out in front of him all day long, you know. I'm cutting metal and welding for him, but my Bible is right there, and it's open because every spare minute that I get, I'm reading from that, you know. My notepads are right next to it, you know. I've got my Christian cassette tapes on, and I'm listening to sermons all day, Christianity is just pouring out of my environment where I am. And every time he's in proximity, you're darn right. You're going to be experiencing it as much as it is possible. That's what you're going to be experiencing. Had I ever looked him in the face and said, now, Jerry, I need to have, you know, no. (laughs) Other than to tell him in the beginning that I'm a Christian and that's what I'm all about. He couldn't take it. We need to be people that are constantly of the mindset of ministry. You know, don't, don't have that mindset set. Oh, wouldn't the world love that? If when we went to work, we just left our Christianity, even if we brought it to work, as long as we left it in the car. Yeah. Wouldn't the world love that? To never be convicted. That, that's a big part of what we're calling the cancel culture right now, isn't it? You, you, can't, you can't show or present Or teach any opposing view. You do, and they'll, you know, unfriend you from Facebook. And you cancel you and have nothing to do with you and get you fired and riot in your streets and, you know, burn your city hall to the ground. If you've got a different view than them. Our enemy wants us to shut our mouths. Paul's saying we don't do that. Everywhere we go, this is who we are. Verse 11, exclamation point, right? Oh, Corinthians. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. What do we hear behind this? Oh, that Paul guy, he's got a hidden agenda. He says he's preaching the gospel, but he's really about this other thing. And if we read between the lines, right, the accusation is Paul's in the ministry for the money, right? Because he has to to clarify, did you guys ever pay me a paycheck, right? He clarifies, look, Peter Peter is supported by churches that he ministers to, but apparently by your opinion, Corinth, uh, only Paul can't have a paycheck. You know, only Barnabas who ministers with Paul, he can't have a pay. You know, James and John and Peter, all those and their wives, uh, you know, the, the church and the ministry supports them, but not us. And then Paul clarifies, hey, just for clarity's sake, you'll remember I never received anything from you guys. In fact, it was other churches that supported me so that I could come and minister to you guys. Yeah, you know, how was I ever a burden to you? How did I ever Oh, well, he's just trying to hold us down. He's trying to keep us back. He's trying to, you know, not allow us to do things. Right. You know, the things that would destroy you. You know, what did Paul have to address? You know, the fact that they've got a man living in their midst who's having sexual relations with his stepmother. Oh, Paul is saying, Yeah, oh wow, I'm really holding you back. Trying to free you, and, you know and your members from a destructive sin that would not only destroy that individual, but your whole congregation. I'm I'm not keeping you from anything that's productive. I'm not keeping you from anything that's wholesome and would edify you. You know, I'm I'm restricting you. From what you're already restricted by your own affections, you know the very things that would uh, ha- hamper the work of the Lord in your midst. And again, uh, forgive me for you know saying it this way. Look at how he just directly speaks down to them, right? I speak as to children. You know, it's like I'm, it's like I'm talking to a bunch of punk kids. What you're a full-grown adults with families who have children and grandchildren of your own, and I'm having to write you a letter like I'm talking to, you know, the junior high youth group or something. Well, what is up with this? Paul, Paul is really very direct in addressing them, really quite harshly. I mean, if you put this in modern vernacular and, and, you know, put your name in all of the places that were being rebuked and put my name in all of the places that were confronting you, uh, you'd... Feel pretty downtrodden. Paul is having to correct them pretty harshly over their behavior and their conduct. In verse 14, he gets more specific. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And a lot of people act like, see, that's like, you know, just wow, re- revelation, and you know, New Testament type of. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9. This is this is Old Testament understanding for all, especially the Jews. And, you know, it, it it does have the specifics regarding marriage, but more uh, significantly, he's directing this at the idea of business, and you know, then generally the idea of Christians being in fellowship with unbelievers. Now, we have to understand that God does not preach or teach himself or through his ministers the idea of isolationism, right? God isn't saying, okay, what you need to do is find a massive plot of acreage and just build a small community there where you only allow Christians in. I mean, it sounds... You know, like heaven on earth. You know, you just be able to have, you know, maybe jobs outside there. But, you know, a lot of people get this dream going in their head. Like we could just have a farm and we'll sell our products and our produce. And it'll just be all Christians all the time. And we won't know. We'll just shut the world out. Yeah. You've probably heard preachers say by now, look, if you find the per- perfect church, don't go there. You'll ruin it. You know, it's it w- because we're sinful. We're human beings. There's no creating some heaven on earth society like this. It's, it's not going to happen because we're all prone to failure. You know, the, the statement that he's saying is that that coupling of yourself together. You know, it, it's a really dangerous thing uh, to fasten yourself into a relationship where you are dependent upon an unbeliever. There's there's an entirely different standard. I don't care how moral an, an unbeliever might be. There are there are such profound differences in the belief system of someone who doesn't place their faith in Jesus Christ and someone who does place their faith in Jesus Christ. The, the more wide the gap in Christians' faith, the more painful it is. Uh, believer to unbeliever, I've I've seen... I've never personally seen success in that. Never. Never. Um, even, you know... I, I hate to say it this way, but I've, I've had a number of young friends who they suddenly develop a, a, a relationship that's going to turn into a marriage with someone who's from, and I'll just be blunt, a completely inferior denomination. And I don't mean to our, inferior to our own. Here's a person who has these strong, hardened Moral doctrine beliefs regarding the scripture the relationship with God and then they meet someone who says oh yeah I'm a Christian but you look at their life and you're kind of thinking like where to to what degree and now they develop this romance and marriage ensues and now we discover compromise because either the incredibly strong Christian is going to be really agitating to the incredibly weak Christian and cause the weak Christian to constantly be compromising in order to get along with the strong Christian. The strong Christian becomes domineering over the weak Christian or the vice versa. The weak Christian becomes very domineering to the strong Christian so that the strong Christian has to compromise in order to maintain the relationship with the weak Christian. Somebody's always compromising. It's very, very destructive to the relationship. You not only want to find someone who is a believer, you want to have them be equally yoked, right? You know, you know yoking animals together. My wife and I were down in Augusta years ago at a uh, fair and we had specifically chosen to go there on the day that they were doing horse and oxen pull. And um, I saw the biggest ox I've ever seen in my life down there. The, The neck from the breastbone through to the spine. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that it was more than four feet. This, this animal stood up and you know, my, I could all, just crouch down a little bit and look clean under this animal. It, it was, it was like I'm in the presence of a dinosaur. I, I it was astonishing. Absolutely. Ast- I have no idea what the breed was, right? I mean, this, this, thing clearly had the power to you know drop a horn and flip over the uh you know whole entire trailer that it had been brought on the truck i mean this thing gets out of control there's no stopping the freight train right you know hooves like this you're just like what are we looking at here well there were other auks in there that you know maybe you've seen you know that are you know, horse-like in size, just way beefier. <laughs> You're not going to take the behemoth Herculean dinosauric giant and hook it up with the measly little normal ox you saw, you know, on the farm down the road. This is a world-class animal. that unequally yoked here. Yeah, they're both oxen. Well, you know, I mean, it's all you put these things in the ox. The other one's going to be just like hanging off the side of this giant animal, and and this this is more what Paul is saying. It isn't even you know we want to talk animals like this. Uh, this isn't like don't put a donkey and an ox in the same yoke. Like almost anybody would be like, well, of course not. You know, don't don't even put your goat and a donkey in the same yoke? Well, of course not. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to put a donkey and a donkey in the same yoke, make sure they're similar in size. Make sure that they're somewhat equally yoked. They're able to work together. Paul's giving a big mandate here about human relation. You, know, you, you want to work with somebody it, 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 hear me out of this. If you think I'm just going too far in regard to this illustration, you really gotta understand all of what's saying. You know, you're gonna go to work in ministry with somebody, you need to find somebody that you're gonna partner with who's equal in intensity, who's who's equal in spiritual strength. You're gonna you know go to work in a marriage. With somebody, literally man and woman getting married, there's going to be a spiritual equality to a degree there that helps complement. You know, Steve and I were just talking today about husbands and wives and how, yes, husbands need to be the leaders in the homes and in the relationship, the Lord. But I really stress the issue of my wife teaches and lends to me a tremendous amount. I'm not independent of Laura Cass. That, that, that woman has an equal intensity and an equal spirituality to where I'm at. That's why the Lord has us together. You know, you're going to start a ministry, as I said. You're going to start a business. You're going to start an endeavor. You want to look the person over that you're locking your life into and really understand, am I equally yoked with this person? Can I see myself five 10, 15, the rest of my life being able to keep pace with this person or this person being able to keep pace with me? Or am I just going to frustrate the stuffing out of them? Or are they going to frustrate the stuffing out of me? Needs to have an equality. So then he gets into some more specific things, the general statement of do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Because now he goes for the direct contrast. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? You know, today that's a little confusing because our world's so corrupt. But I mean the literal concept of righteousness. Not not just like law enforcement. I'm talking like Jesus Christ himself as he's going to get to with the devil. Uh, they're never going to be like. So, how'd you like to go into business? Maybe we could, you know, start a, you know, car dealership together. And I'm just grasping for an illustration, but uh, true righteousness bound together with wickedness, lawlessness. They can't go together. You know, it's going to destroy itself in the process. What communion has light with darkness? Now, look, I, this is an easier one. And, and you you know probably have a clear understanding, but I like to grab at the illustration of light always repels darkness. We, we get certain impressions like more powerful light will really just drive the darkness. No, no, I don't care how incredibly dark the location is, how deep the cavern is. If you've got one little match that just will never go out, An eternal match. You light it once, you'll be able to walk around and illuminate every crack and crevice and the whole thing. Light will always expel darkness, you know? You say, well, it didn't expel it from the whole room. Yeah, no, it literally could. You could just walk around and put that light in every little pocket of that. It doesn't, from here, reach all the way over there, but, but everywhere it goes, darkness flees away from it right light expels it there, there is no fellowship with these two things you know light always repels darkness they do not work uh, together what accord has christ with belial there it is the devil is literally, literally what's being said jesus doesn't have any agreement with the devil you know, I, I always hate hollywood making up movies about war between evil and good and spiritual conflicts because they always make the devil look so big. Oh, just the house was so possessed. You know, Christ's ministers couldn't hardly stay in that place. Look, if there was a spirit-filled Christian in there, no devil's hanging out. I don't care how weak a Christian they are. They don't have to be especially bold. You walk in there, you get the Holy Spirit on board, you've already won. Why? Because Christ is present. Christ expels the worst of wickedness. It has no permission to stay in the presence of Christ. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now he comes down to the very point, right? He's throwing the illustrations out there. He's putting up the understanding to come to what fellowship what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And man, hasn't the world lost touch with that? Hasn't Christianity lost touch with that? The partnerships. Oh, it goes every direction on every level. Like I've described, you know, you know Christian marrying unchristian, Christians going into business with non-believers. You know, I, I made a friend really upset years ago. He comes to me, uh, he and I had been talking about a business opportunity that he had had that was way ahead of everybody else's curve, and I gave him a whole bunch. of. Once he started talking and I recognized his genius, it sparked a number of things from my experience in life, and I just said, look, look at these opportunities maybe you've never thought of. You need to go after these things, and I stayed on him, and he did it. He went out, no credit to me, they were just ideas in my head. He was the one who went out and did the work. All credit to him, his capabilities, and his follow through. He went and did the stuff, and his business took right off. And so I'm looking at a guy who for years has been struggling and working and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to get by and take care of his family. Hard working, really industrious guy, really smart Guy and, and I just watched God rip the doors open and give him this wonderful opportunity and I was like in the way in the background like rejoicing like this is the coolest thing my friend just like landed in the most amazing opportunities and then we kind of like drift apart in conversation and so then we come around and I'm trying to talk about the business this is quite a bit of a time later I'm trying to like how you know things going, and just I saw you you know running with that idea, and that's just so neat and cool, and it comes down to he wanted to expand the business, so he went to an unbeliever and got that man to invest in his idea huge, huge investment, and he thought I was really like mad at him, and I'm saying, no, no, I'm not mad at you at all. I'm brokenhearted for you because I was watching my friend experience the success that the Lord was providing and you just coupled all of that success with an unbeliever and I'm scared to death that what's going to happen is it's going to completely undermine what you're doing because you don't have the same master. You're not in this for the same purpose. It's such a dangerous thing to do, to take what the Lord has given you and the resources the Lord has provided and then put it together with someone who has no fellowship with Christ. And no quicker way to burn the thing to the ground, to destroy the very things that the Lord has provided. What agreement has the temple of God with idols, right? He was previously in chapter 5 talking about how we're the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Now he begins here to quote Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. when he says, So he, he just kind of mashes it all together for us. Starts out in Isaiah, jumps into uh, Jeremiah, back to Isaiah, down into Ezekiel. So you'll be able to find bits and pieces throughout all the prophets, uh, or these three anyway. I will... Dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. The invitation that the Lord is giving, the invitation of blessing. Paul is writing to this church that has gotten itself really confused about the purity of Christ. And they've wrapped themselves up in all kinds of things that pertain to the world. And look, you guys, the number of ways that I could give us examples and illustrations that the church has done that today is endless. The, The one way... That I want to make an illustration of tonight is the way, and you, and you do whatever, right? There's the marketing that the church has gotten involved in of, oh, we w- mega churches are the goal. Purity isn't the goal, right? Righteousness is not the goal of the church. Godliness is not the goal of the church anymore. Bigness is the goal of the church. Because in the mind of the church, that's what equals success, is being big. That's that's not what Christ did. It's not what Christ did at all. He drove people away with his insistence for holiness, for godliness, for righteousness. Right? And and people got offended, and he he turned to his own disciples and said, You guys want to go too? And we have to hear Peter say, Where would we go? You have... you know, the words of life and the words of truth, there's no there's no other place for us to go. The one area, I, I diverted, but the one area I want to talk about uh, is in the embracing of psychology. The church saying, you know, oh, your problems are, it's not sin. You've got an addiction. It's not sin, right? You've got a disorder. It's not sin, you know? You're just dysfunctional, and, and and through all of that process, the church now not only rejects the definition of sin, it now moves over to the worldly explanation for answers. Oh, so I don't have an addi- I don't have sin. I have an addiction. So so now that you know we've reclassified my sin as a sickness, what's the treatment? And and now the treatments start to be prescribed by the church as the church moves away. And listen, here's the thing you boil the whole thing down, and what psychology says right now, it'll shift, it's shifted all along the way. But what psychology is saying right now is that your problem is low self esteem. You don't esteem yourself highly enough. You need to think better of yourself. And once you think better of yourself, well, then you'll begin to behave better. And then once you behave better, then you'll feel better about yourself. That's completely false. I'm not saying that from my opinion and analysis. I'm saying that from the word of God. The word of God are, says we already love ourselves too much. You know. Well, you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and you don't love yourself enough, so even for you to become a better minister of your neighbor, you got to love yourself so that you'll know how to love him. No, I already know how to love him. I already know how to love her. You know how I know? Because I take care of myself just fine, and it makes me miserable. Because <laughs> I'm hung up on myself. If I looked at you and said, you know what, that person needs me to pay all their bills this month. (laughs) Would you not feel better, right? What if I did pay all your bills that month out of a true Christian sense of love and then I watched as Christ took care of me? Oh, hey. If I loved you as Christ loved the church, Right? He emptied himself of himself, came and served us as a servant. He emptied his bank account on your behalf. Emptied it. No, he did Poured his life out for our sake. That's what Christ did. We already love ourselves. The issue is we love ourselves too much. We need to give to others. You, you want to you be more happy? You want to be more content? Find two or three people that you can do things for as anonymously as possible. No one knows. Right? Because if there's any degree to which someone might know, that robs you of the blessing. Because then that comes back to you as recognition accolades reward do it with no recognition give to others be for others care for others you say how do i decide that oh if only there were a book written with suggestions right (laughs) perfect religion pure and undefiled is this that you would care for the widows and the orphans in their distress you want to, know who to take care of single mothers and literally mo- you know orphaned children you know a lot a lot of people go oh single moms world's full of them yeah you got to be careful there cuz there are some of them that have learned how to just play the system along the way right you look for the ones who have been robbed of their protector and their provider single moms orphans Take care of them. Christ will reward you. Uh, The selflessness. This church at Corinth, completely self-absorbed to the point where now they're rejecting the minister that God has sent to them. And Paul has to call, call them out on it and correct them. You want to see the temple of the Lord working and living and being in you? Selflessly serve others. Amen? Amen. Well, We'll pick up with chapter 7 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your work in our lives. And we ask that you would continue to minister to us throughout the week. Help us to follow you, Lord. We are blessed to be your children, blessed to be your sons and daughters. Help us to have an open heart to what it is you're saying and doing in us and through us. We submit ourselves to you and ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us, through us, and by us. In Jesus' name, amen.